Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Thank you so much for deciding to spend a little bit of time with me today. This episode is coming out on the 11th of October, 2021. We in Victoria have just commenced term four. My year 12s are back on site. Year eights are still going remotely. And we are just continuing the juggle that is education amidst COVID. Considering I'm still in some form of lockdown, there's a lot to report. So I want to speak a little bit about this episode. So I have George Kouros on today and he is from Canada. And I'm going to say around like 2013, I went to the ELH conference, which I think is like an emerging learning horizon. I think that's what it stood for. It doesn't run anymore, but it was very tech based, you know, looking at the new tech that was available and different types of pedagogies. And I heard a number of people speak One was Andrew Douch, who was ultimately teaching the year 12 biology course via podcast for many underprivileged students who didn't have accessibility to unit three and four biology. I heard a woman speak and I can't remember what her name was, but she spoke about maker spaces and she was actually very integral in developing the GPS technology. Really, really inspiring woman. And I heard... George speak. And at the time he was a principal and you'll hear me speak to him about what I took away from that speech. But let's just say that nearly 10 years later, I got Instagram and I still remembered his name. That's how much of an impact he made on me as a speaker. And I have been kind of revving myself up to ask him to come onto the podcast. And I was very, very grateful when he agreed to come on and look I could have spoken to him for a lot longer but what you will hear in this episode is there are several interruptions with my children so obviously with Canada and the time difference I had to record first thing in the morning and it just so happened that the day that I scheduled this to be recorded was the day after the construction industry was deemed to go into shutdown and my husband's business is around construction and so He had to take several meetings while I was trying to record this podcast and so was in and out with the children. So the reason that I've left it in is because I think that these human moments, first of all, this is lockdown life for many of us, but also it gives you a side to George that I don't think he necessarily gets to show in any other situation. So I personally found it incredibly endearing the way that he interacts with my children as they enter the episode and you will just hear the chaos that is my life. I would also like to mention that George has just published a book called Because of a Teacher that is inspired by his own podcast, The Innovator's Mindset Podcast, where he interviews a series of really inspiring educators. One of the educators that has contributed to that book is Dr. Mary Hemphill, who I have had on the podcast. She was my very first episode of 2021. 
So I will link that in the show notes. If you haven't heard Dr. Mary speak, you need to. She's absolutely incredible. She is now actually working for the Department of Education in the USA. But also his amazing book, Innovate Inside the Box, I think is really, really important because as he says to me, we are the system. And so, yes, there are constraints and yes, there are confines in which we must work within, but we can still make great change within this system as the system, as educators. And so, yeah, I think it's a really important challenge that he actually sets us as educators to not fall victim to a system. If you like the episode, please share it on social media. Tag me at Educating Laura and George at G on Instagram. Please follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple. Send me a review. I love them. I really, really enjoy getting a review. Please submit one. I'd love it. Or give it five stars. That'd be even better. If you want to give back to the podcast, feel free to buy me a virtual coffee. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy another inspiring episode. I'll see you in a fortnight. Hello, George. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Really good. I'm so, so excited to have you on. I think I reached out to you when I first found you on Instagram, maybe a year ago, saying that I'd seen you as a keynote speaker many years ago in Australia at the ELH conference. Was I with my brother? Perhaps. I remember you speaking as a principal. Yeah. And the main thing I remember that stood out to me is you speaking about if you make the decision that centers a student in whatever you are going to do, then it's the right decision. And bizarrely, I actually hadn't heard anybody say that as explicitly as that before in my, at the yeah, time. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. You don't? Okay. Let's. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm like, oh God. This no, I'm like over that. <laughs> I'm over that part. Well. Boy, I had a lot of growing up to do, obviously, back then. <laughs> I'm actually shocked that nobody said that before. Never. Yeah, that actually, I think, I think, you know, I know I'm kind of jumping in and obviously I do kind of center that. I think there is some progression in my thinking on that, to be yeah. honest with you, uh, because I think sometimes I could get caught up in the notion of like, I don't care what it does to the adults, mm-hmm. right? This is, if it's good for kids, I don't care what it does to the adults. And I think the progression, I still, students are at the center of the work that we do, but it's really kind of understanding that if you do not take care of the adults, you're actually not doing what's best for kids, right? So there is, it's not just like, a, I, I think it's kind of ensuring that you don't negate the people closest to children because that isn't actually helping them. So I think, you know, maybe in my progression, it's still the same answer, but there's, I think some nuance to that. And I think that's a really important thing. And, and, you know, at the time when you saw me, I was an administrator and I was for several years and I worked with administrators. I still do. I think sometimes I'd have to have some really tough conversations. And I remember actually my assistant principal at the time, I had a tough conversation with the teacher. She was in the room and then the teacher left and I just started eating my lunch. And she's like, how are you okay? I'm like, because this is not about my ego. I can go to sleep tonight because I, I did what I needed to do to ensure that we were taking care of the students. And I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this too, my ego gets in the way of what's best for kids. And so I think that's that was really a centering thing for me that sometimes... I could go off and not worry about the students and worry about me. And then I would lose sleep because I'm like, oh, I, I did the wrong thing there. I did, you know, and so I think it was a way for me 
to ensure how do I keep myself on track where it is not? Cause I think a lot of times it's like, you know, forget the adults and it's not that at all. It's like, how do I make sure I keep myself on track that I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and like I said, it, like, I, I think, especially in a world where we're becoming really hyper aware of our mental health, I'm sure, I know you follow me on Instagram, you've seen, I've taken, been really taking care of my health, how important yeah. that is. I think sometimes what, you know, people are doing is that they're so overwhelming themselves in pursuit of doing what's best for kids, that they're actually not doing what's best for kids in the sense that they're harming themselves. So like long-term, if you can't take care of yourself, you're not good to take care of students. Right. And so I think it's, it is that nuance and kind of thinking about that. So like, I, I kind of like have said to myself, Hey, like I can be really good for my kids, but if I get, if I, my health's horrible, how long is that going to be for? Yeah. Right. And then I'm always sore and like cranky because, you know, I'm so out of shape and things like this. So yeah, like I take some time for myself every morning to work out where I could be spending with my kids, you know, doing things with my kids all the time, but then I'm, I'm miserable the entire time. I don't, I, you know, I think I'm sure my kids would rather two hours left with me mm. and I'm happy oh, yeah. than a full day of me being miserable. Yeah. Right. And so like, it's, it's little things like that that you try to like center yourself. And so I think we have to be aware of, are we taking care of ourselves to take care of other people? It's not like a, an either or. And I think maybe I, and I think it's important for me to show growth. Maybe I painted it a little bit like that earlier on. And so I think it's my own progression in this stuff as well. There's two things I want to pick apart with that um, answer. Sure. So the first thing is well-being and ensuring that staff and teachers that you're working with are supported and their well-being is centred. I'm in Melbourne, in Victoria, which has had the longest lockdown. We are still in lockdown in the world. I and staff and teacher well-being has actually been put in the center because ultimately there is trauma now within the staff based on what we've right. experienced and it has been a real sigh of relief to have well-being at the center of conversations from administration and to be fair I don't think anybody understood last year what lockdown would have done to staff but now we are acutely aware right. and so that is something that is really at the basis of what a lot of the conversations are with administration it is yes we need to support students but well-being of students and in order to do that we need to prop up the staff and so I'm seeing that conversation really shift the school so I appreciate you acknowledging that I, I just to interrupt you for a second I don't know are you are you familiar with the movie The Shining because <laughs> that's the first thing I think about <laughs> being locked down do you know the movie I the do Shining? yeah that's yeah. the funniest like, I, connection. I, I could have told you years ago yeah being like locked in a place because I saw a movie right, called The Shining. Right. I don't think anyone's at point. I hope not. No, but, but... I think realizing. <laughs> I, that's, what, that's what I always think about. I know. That's like the weirdest <laughs> no, that's, thing. I understand what you're like, saying, yeah, though. It's, it's like basically just describe the premise of yeah. The Shining. Yeah. If you're locked up for a while, it's going to do Correct. something. Correct. And I think that it's put mental health under the spotlight, right? Because everybody has had an experience in lockdown with lockdown. And so there is something that levels us that we can relate to innately because we've all been through it, which I think is kind of nice, mm -hmm. you know, and so there's certainly conversations we're having. But the other thing you mentioned was ego, and I think ego is just rife throughout education, and you're talking about the growth that you've had with ego and understanding that, you know, that that's something that you needed to work through. How do we do that in education? How do we remove ego for the betterment of 
education ultimately. I, I don't know if it is actually, I don't, I don't know if I would even say you need to remove ego. I, I actually mm-hmm. think I have a gigantic ego, but like people see that as a negative thing. Okay. Right. So like, so here, here's an example of this, right? So think of two leaders here. Think about this one, the leader that takes credit for everything, whether they did it or not. Right. And really like a lot of times that's where ego leads to arrogance or it's, you know, a a mechanism of insecurity, but it's like, I need the credit. I need the credit too. Right. So that's where ego, you know, leads to a a bad space. Right. And so when you're talking about like ego, like I want to do well, Mm. I don't necessarily need to get the attention, but I need to know I'm doing a good job. Like that is really important to me. Right. So I think that's where you kind of like center, like, Hey, what's best for kids. So I, what I started to realize really early in my career was the more I could get out of people, the more I could serve them, the better our school does. And you know what that does? That makes me look really good to the people that I work for. So like, I, I'm not going to pretend that I don't ever like looking good, but it was yes. in service of others that you actually end up looking better. And so I actually shared years ago, kind of talking about how there is this space between insecurity, confidence, and arrogance, right? And you're trying to shoot for that confidence area, but insecurity, it's like, I I don't want people getting that attention because it's going to make me look bad. And arrogance kind of gets to that space where it is all centered around me. I I could really care less what you do because it's all about, I am at the center, but confidence is actually a really important aspect. So I think it's not about necessarily removing ego, not like, cause I I think innately, I want to do a good job. Let's talk about this, you know, from the teaching level. Yes. So a teacher saying, and I, I don't, I don't see this anymore, but it's like, I've never had a year where a student, every a student has got a hundred percent of my class and not centered on ego. My class is so hard that nobody ever does that well. And I'm thinking maybe you're not a good teacher then. Cause the point of you being a good teacher is to make sure that as many kids, if not all of your students do well in your class. Yeah, but see the ego, the ego is served by the wrong thing in that situation. So then the the leader that wants credit for everything, eventually people start to say, well, why would I do anything? I don't get any recognition. It's all goes to this person. And then eventually it actually ends up hurting that person. So it's like really kind of understanding like where, where are you actually served where that actually does better for you as well? And, and especially in education, our role is to serve others. When others do better because of us, that actually is a great reflection on our work. And so it is in, in service, but I think, we, you know, our ego can be like, I want the attention, I want this, and I will step on people to get that. And like going back to the original conversation, it is yeah. like, hey, that was a centering thing for me where it didn't like... I want to be recognized as the best at the cost of others, but it was more like, yeah. I want to be recognized as the best in the way that I serve others. If that makes sense. hundred percent. It makes sense. And, that, and I that, think that's the difference, right. And I think people like, very important. Ego, yeah, I think people think ego is a bad thing, but like, I'm sure you have an ego too. Like you want, you don't want to be like, Oh, you know, like if everyone said this podcast sucked, I don't think you'd yeah. be happy about it, right? No, like, I'd be happy you want people to like this podcast, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to be a crappy guest. I want to do well. And so, you know, that, that to me is, but like centering on why and what actually leads us to do, achieve in the work that we are doing. I want to follow up also with the fact that you talked about like a leader who, or a teacher that's focused on results. And I think that teaching and education and school marketing can often 
revolve mm. around results and, you know, scores and university placements. I'm in a secondary school, things like that, because it's it's easy data to use, right? It's easy data to, to sell. Oh. So I'm wondering from an administrator's perspective, how else would you sell a school or market a school that is not purely around that kind of data to show the community that they should send their student there? Oh, well, okay. Well, this this could be, this could go on for a little while. This question, right? Okay. So, and right. I think that, that's that's a problem, right? Because people want the quick and easy. They want to just be able to look at something and say, "A, ninety eight percent," right? Those things, but the, those those things don't really tell you anything, right? Mm. Like here, here's an example. Okay, so French is one of the main languages in Canada. Yep. Okay. So if I told you this. A kid gets 95% on the report card in French in grade three. What does that tell you? Oh, well, it looks good. It looks very good. It just looks good, but it doesn't yeah. really tell you anything, right? So That's like, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of this. So think like, because I think sometimes we, we, we kind of pretend these are the end-all be-all things, totally. right? So I go to kindergarten grade eight in Canada. Mm -hmm. That is elementary where I grew up, right? So it was like, there is no, there was no middle school where I grew up. It was like, you went to an elementary school and a high school, kindergarten grade mm -hmm. eight, and nine to 12, right? Kindergarten grade eight. I'm one of the top academic math students in my cl my class. Every single year, I'm like one, two, or three. Every single yeah. year, I could I could tell you the names of the students who were one, two, and three. Yeah, right. I could tell you. I remember to this day. Mm -hmm. And so I'm getting like basically 96, 97 percent every single year. Then I get to grade nine. Grade nine, we start algebra, and I am like barely passing. Right. Okay. So like, what happened? that I'm like one of the top math students from kindergarten grade eight. And then all of a sudden grade nine, and it wasn't like, there's no trauma. There is no like massive life change. There's nothing you could point to that would say like, wow, this kid went through this. This is what happened. It was just like, yeah, I, I didn't understand math all of a sudden. Yeah. So basically what was happening was kindergarten grade eight. It's like number operations, numeracy, things like that are, are the mainstays. And you just do like a little tiny bit of geometry. You did a little tiny bit of algebra. So like the weighting of those things in elementary school, it was like this much for what was grade nine. And every time that's where I really struggle. But because of how it was weighted, you just look at me you're like this kid's brilliant in math. Look yeah. at his score, right? Nothing was identified. But then all of a sudden in grade nine, then this becomes this yes and all of a sudden i'm a terrible student and nobody can answer why like this kid has always been good at math and so a lot of times those numbers don't tell us what we actually need to know to help our kids so they look good and they make us feel good but it's really kind of identifying so in our schools what we actually looked at we got rid of grades from kindergarten to grade nine and then we just started like basically taking curriculum objectives and be able to communicate and actually was a better indicator for the students going into the next school it was a hard transition for a lot of people yeah because what some people did was they graded everything the kid did but then on the report card they just put in right and then it actually gets kids focused on the wrong thing so then we why do we do in grade why then why not continue if that's such a good practice why not continue in grade you know nine to twelve because well, we understand universities are still looking at these things but we have to kind of understand universities, colleges all over the world, they're starting to look at different things as well. But also like really, really do grades, are grades an indicator? So think of this in teaching. So anyone listening to this right now, if you think in your career, do you know, I'm a maths teacher. We say math, right? Maths teacher. I, yes. I told you in Australia. So say a math teacher, does anyone have a math teacher in their career who you knew was brilliant at math, but couldn't teach math? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. So basically what their grade showed you 
was they were very good at math. So then we just think, well, boom, right there. So as a principal, as a district administrator, I hired so many teachers. Grades were never a factor. They were never a factor in my grading because I, I saw teachers who were terrible at school, who were amazing teachers. And I saw teachers who were great at school, uh, who, who struggle teaching because they, cause like a lot of times, like, how do you not just get calculus? It's so easy. And it's like, well, it's easy to you because this makes sense to you. But for a kid that struggles, whereas a lot of teachers that struggled in school understood kids who struggled. And when you actually understand kids who struggle, you can actually help all students at, at different levels. Right. Yeah. I and agree. So, like, this is one of the, so part of it is you have to have some of these conversations with parents because everything that I'm saying, no parent would disagree with me mm. that they don't understand this. And so the universities are, are utilizing this stuff too. But then let's go to the other side. We say like, Hey, we want to get our kids into college. Mm. But then I say like, Hey, we should actually work with our students on, you know, what they do on social media and how they're actually connecting there. Because a lot of these colleges are looking at what students are doing on social media and they're saying, look, I don't care if your student is a top academic student, look what they tweeted. I don't want this kid in my school. And then all of a sudden, it's like, nah, nah, I don't want, no, no, that's, that's someone else's problem. I'm like, well, I thought the point was getting these kids to college. I thought the point was getting on to the next level. So, so like we use that as an excuse not to change the system. But when I say like, this is something that people are looking at, but we don't know it well, then we can push back and say, here's something to challenge. So one of the things that we really started trying to do, and I've been, you know, advocating for years is really getting students to build portfolios. And portfolios actually tell you have a much better indicator of like what the student knows, what they understand, but it also helps a kid identify that for themselves. Because a lot of times when you actually look at a student's grades, okay, when you look at a student's grades, the kid can't articulate why they got the grade. Uh -huh. The kid can't, yeah, yeah. you know, the teacher can do it and say like, this is the performance of the kid in these things. But then I say, okay, tell me why you're so good at this. Well, I don't know. I just guy just good on the test. Yes. So it's like, well, so you don't know your skills. So I think, Part of the notion and, you know, I, I wrote the book, uh, Innovate Inside the Box with Katie Novak. It is understanding we, we kind of live in this, this middle time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we still are doing grades. Colleges still are looking at grades, but they are starting to look more at portfolios. They're starting to look more at social media stuff. But we can't just say, hey, you know, because a lot of parents are not. So I think it's partly, are we having these honest conversations with our parents? Because like, who's going to say to me, no, you hired based on grades, liar. No, like I know this because I, I gave you an example that I knew you've experienced. Mm. Like I know this, right? And so I think it's part of that conversation. And anyone that's had a business knows people that are in their business that did not do well academically, yeah. but have, have have done well. So I think it's, you know, a lot of like parent feedback, you know, student feedback, some of those conversations that we have, but I think we can actually get more stories coming out of our schools, you know, think about all the media that we have. So what's really interesting is you're seeing these gigantic companies, right? They, they'll use emotional connection for you to go to their product, right? So they'll use these like heartwarming, like Coca-Cola commercials where it's like, you're crying and you're like, you know, like all this other stuff. And they know the importance of actually connecting, yeah. not just on an emotional level as well. And they've actually don't use data to impress the public. They might do it with their shareholders and things like that, but to be to people to actually go in, they use this human connection that it's really a matter because they understand this. All the while, schools are shifting to the exact opposite. Yeah. It's like number scores, letters, number scores, letters. And it's like, why are we not actually sharing the stories of our schools? Why are we not connecting this way? Where I see, you know, like I've seen principals do newsletters with their students. And I think I want my kid to be a part of that. I want my kid to have that experience, right? That's what I want to see. And so like, even if you look like on a, on a school website, if I was to go to a school website in Melbourne, if I actually went and saw that, 
this and Melbourne. I was going to say, Melbourne. I was almost, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, well done. It's great pronunciation. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I've, I've been asked you several times. Yeah. So <laughs> if you see that, when I look at a teacher's, like a website, what does it tell me about the teacher? This teacher went to this school. Yeah, correct. Right? Yes. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's the kid. That's the one I want my class in. And it's like, they don't tell me anything. But when I go look up a doctor, I'm getting reviews. I'm getting all this other stuff, right? And a lot of teachers are, are allowing that the general public is telling their story. And I think more and more parents are becoming informed of this. I want to know what type of things is, is my kid doing in that class? Like, what is what does that classroom experience look like? And I, I think it's like, they don't see that. And part of it is because we're choosing not to share that, right? And if so everyone listening to this, if I'm a parent coming into your class, understand this. If my kid is coming in your class next year, I'm Googling you. I'm finding everything I can. And what will it point me to? What will it tell me where I'm like, that's where I want my kid to be? And so we we advocate that we want our kids to have the greatest experiences and share all these things. But then we're like, well, you know, are, are we not entitled to some of this stuff? Well, okay, yeah, I, I like I'm not I don't need to know like the inner workings of your mind, what you do at night or any of this stuff. But I think it's fair that if my kid's going to be with you for a year, I kind of should know about what the experience looks like in your classroom. Right. And so like part of the like if we're being totally honest, part of it is we aren't taking advantage of all the technologies and all the access we have yeah. to share stories, to connect with this, like to, to think just like, I don't know where you are relative to my age. The thought of being on TV when I was a kid was like the greatest thing ever. Right? <laughs> yeah. it, was like, it was important to get on TV. Like you, like somebody had to like take that video and then you had to get up yeah, there yeah. and be for three seconds. Now, like we, you're, you can take this and post it on YouTube within two seconds. True. And so like the ease of access of this is so much easier. But are we taking advantage of this stuff? And then we say, well, their parents are just looking at grades. They're look, they're just looking at grades because you're not giving any other story, right? So there's more and more parents who are like me and are like, yeah, my kid's going to be fine academically. I want to know if they're going to be cared for. I want to know if they're going to be challenged. I want to know if they're going to enjoy going to school every single day, right? Yeah, I want them to do well academically, but I know that if they do really well academically and like you said earlier, and, but it's going to hurt their health because they hate going to school every day, then I'd rather just keep them at home. I completely agree. And I've just gone through my daughter's going to primary school next year. I've been through that process. And ultimately the reason I chose the school that I did was based on all the other things, not right. the literacy and numeracy program necessarily. I felt pretty confident that, you know, most primary schools are pretty adept at those sorts of things, but it was some of the extracurricular, the well-being, the community focus, environmental ethics built into the curriculum, things like that, that I felt were much more worldwide important values than just numeracy and literacy. Yeah. Like I actually remember there's two stories out of this. Actually, I remember working out of this uh, with the school district one day and I worked with teachers in the morning, principals in the afternoon, and then I spoke to parents at night. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm talking about all these innovative things, these, you know, new opportunities with the teachers. And I remember them saying, this is awesome. I, we love this stuff. Our principals, yeah. they are not going to go for this. Right. So I do basically the same presentation of their principals. They're like, oh, George, we love this stuff. Our teachers, they're, I'm like, wow. I, just, I swear. Right. So then I work with the parents, George, this would be so good for our kids. Our school is not, they're not there. They don't want to do this stuff. And I'm like, have you, have any of you talked to each other? Yeah. Like, have you, have you had yes. a conversation with them? 
kind of seems like you all want the same thing, but it's like, nobody wants to kind of take that first step. Right. And like really good example. I remember showing, uh, the principles, a newsletter that my friend did. He went from like paper newsletter to video newsletter. So the students were like going from class to class to class, finding out information. They were coming back, sitting with the principal. They did a video said, Hey, here's what's going on at school. Here's what's going on grade one. Here's what's going on grade two, grade three, grade four. And the kids were reporting it. And the principal was just like, Hey, here's this student. Here's this student. He's like being symbolic that he's like, I'm with your kids doing this. So don't worry. I, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I showed it to the principals and I actually showed them this video and they said, this is really cool. Our parents are never going to go for this. So then I showed the video to the parents and I said, I'm just curious. And this is the same group. I'm I just want to curious. How many would you prefer this over a traditional paper newsletter? 100% of the parents said I would prefer this. Yeah. So it's like, we, we have this expectation of other people that they don't necessarily want these changes, that they don't want this. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I think it's an excuse. It's an excuse, maybe not to try, maybe not to try some different things. But like, if you have some of these conversations you show relevant examples, change is happening. And I'm like, I'm a big, I'm big on like, I'm going to change it. And then you're going to see how awesome it is that you're going to want it. I'm not waiting for your permission. I'm not waiting for this. I'm going to show you the example yeah. where you say, this is so much better than what we're doing. And then we're going to move forward. But I think a lot of times people want something approved before they even try. And people don't know what it looks like. People don't know the connection. And so I think it's kind of, we're, we've got to kind of find that space. We're like, yeah, like, I'm not saying, don't worry about your academic scores. I don't want anybody listening to me and saying like, forget our scores. Nobody cares yeah. about that. I don't know your community. Right? Like I've always said this, that if, if you develop really great test takers, that doesn't mean they're great learners, but if you develop really great learners, they'll be fine at the test. And I think that's where we have to, you know, shift our focus. I love everything that you've just said. And I think that that's very important to open those gates of communication. I've had a number of students, ex-students and current students on this podcast as well to talk about exactly that. The fact that they feel as though they actually have a lot to say. And obviously these students are 17, 18, and they would actually love an opportunity to be at the table, but no one's giving them one. And so right. what you're saying too, is the fact that by opening up communication between administrators and teachers, teachers and students, parent communities, we actually might have more in common than we realize if we do that. We do. And like kind of talking about the student thing, I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of student voice, but mm -hmm. I actually, I actually think if we're being honest, I, 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 I kind of say stuff maybe that throws people off. I don't know if we're really advocating for student voice, even the people that say let's advocate for student voice. And what I mean by that is, are we advocating for students to say things that we don't agree with, that we struggle with? So like, you're not really advocating for student voice if you're just getting kids to parrot things that you want them to say. That's not, that's, that's just you being a ventriloquist. That's what that is, right? So I think sometimes like, and I'll give you an example of, of like something we do in schools. I, I've seen this a million times over. We have like these, you know, uh, school feedback conferences. We're going to bring all these students together. They're going to tell us like how we should move forward in education, right? So like, who do we, who do we often send? Our top academic students. Correct. So many times yeah. Because you know what? We don't want to send Billy because Billy could embarrass us. Like that's going to look bad if Billy has one of his moments, right? So that's going to look bad to school. So let's send our top academic students. Now, if you notice, I keep, I don't say smartest kids. I say top academic students because right, I, yeah. I'm a big advocate of understanding that some of the most brilliant kids in your school suck academically because academically we have defined what you are measured at. Like I'll give you an example. I have three university degrees, but plumbing was never taught in school. Okay. When we have a plumber come to the house, I do not feel like the smartest person in the house. <laughs> I don't know anything. Yes. But that, that skill was not taught when I was in, 
was a student. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. So like they've actually done well. They might have done struggled academically, but I see such value and gifts in that. I think yeah. part of that too. So, so then we send these kids who do very well academically and many of them say like, I don't want phones in the classroom because that's going to distract me from listening to the teacher. Cause like, I want to listen to the teacher. And I just like, cause those kids have mastered school. They're really good at what school looks like the former school. Why would you want to change something that you were really, really good at? Right? So when you ask this question, are you sending kids who hate school who are about maybe to fail out and saying like, this sucks. And I'll actually give you a great example of this. Uh, I was with Deidre Raymer. She is a, she's not an associate superintendent. She's kind of like, she's like a director of some sort yeah. in West Dallas, M Milwaukee. Her and I are very good friends. And we've developed this friendship because we have this passion for education. We've connected over the years and she actually brought students who were in an alternate program in her school district who went there because the traditional program did not work for them to the point where they left. And they, they went and talked to the teach to the principals of these traditional schools and said, this is why I left your school. Here's yeah. what I didn't like about it. Here's where I struggled. And it was some really hard conversations for them to hear and saying like, okay, so here's what we do at this school that really benefits me. Here's what I find really powerful that you didn't do in your school. And it really helped. And what I saw and why I love this practice, a lot of those principals are like, why don't we do that at our school? Why don't we actually create this? Yeah. And I think sorry, I've got children here. Yes. Keep going. I'm an educator. I'm like, okay with kids. Yeah. Right? <laughs> kids, yes. oh no. Uh, so yeah. So, hey, how are you? He said hi hey, George. Hi. hi George. Hi. What's what's your name? Gabriel. Gabriel, how are you today? Uh, hey, do you know, do you know where I live? <laughs> Canada. Canada. It's another country. Do you know what? It's Tuesday here and it's Wednesday there. Is that crazy? Whoa, more. There's They're multiplying. More. <laughs> so she wants to get on Hi. camera. Hey, how are you today? How are you, Liv? Good. <laughs> are you having a good day? <laughs> All right. They're going to go and have a lunchbox, but saying bye, okay. George. Bye. 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 <laughs> I hope you have a good day. Thank you. I'll be there in two minutes, okay? okay. Sorry, they're just. Uh... Oh, that's all good. I, I love seeing kids. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's when we're. I think that's what we have to start saying is that a lot of times we're getting kids to say the things that we're passionate about, the things that we think are. So I've watched a lot of schools. Like, if a kid has a different opinion, a different viewpoint, they're like, "Nope, you're, that's the wrong view." And it's like, "Well, you're not really advocating for student voice. You're advocating for kids to say what you want them to say, which is not really student voice." I completely right. agree. I completely agree. But it's, it's like to me sending, you know, your student leadership council out to be the student representatives. Well, you, right. they're probably not representing the entire school. They are a certain niche group of students sure. that exactly, as you said, are un fortunately, unfortunately, often very happy to look a certain way, behave a certain way, because they know that that's valued in the school. Totally. Yeah. And, and it's like, actually, you know, I've written several books and, and, the more books are right. And we actually publish books as well. My wife and I, um, with I our I saw partners. that on your website when I Googled you. I didn't realize yeah, you had so, your own so, publishing. So we, yeah. One of the, one of the conversations that we have with our authors is that it's great that you share your perspectives. Mm. You need to go find perspectives from other people to back up the things that you're saying in different situations. Right. So it's like easy for me to say like, Hey, 
you're in a small town in Canada, but how does this work in a large, you know, urban center with 2000 kids in this school? You're talking about a school with 300 kids. And, you know, you're talking about like this space and this space and this space. So it's like, kind of like, what are, what are the universal things that actually work no matter the space, but you have to prove that yeah. uh, saying this because a lot of people just like, I want to share the experience of our school. And then a lot of people say, oh, well, we can't do that because yeah. we're not that Correct. school. We're not, this, right. It's like, no, like, it's like, Hey, here you can do this. And here's an example, you know, of an administrator, of a teacher, of a student, you know, in a different space that's more similar to yours and what we're doing. And for years, like I have, like I've said, I've been to Australia several times and it's because I've connected with a lot of people in Australia and I've actually shared a lot of their stories. And that's why it's, you know, and people are like, how does this guy from Canada know all these things about Australian education that I don't know? Yeah. Right. And it's because we go looking for those stories. I go looking for that stuff to say like, Hey, is this like a crazy George thing or is this being done elsewhere? Is this like, can I find examples of like variations of what I'm talking about? And I think that's, you know, a, a really, you know, important point when we're trying to bring new ideas is like, Hey, is this just a me thing that I can do in just in my circumstance? Or am I actually showing examples of what this could look like and how people are like, maybe it's not exactly the same, but there's like slight modifications. And then yeah. that it helps people Hey, if I just modify it this this way for my community, maybe this will work for us as well. I think that's really powerful because I think what you said before was that blame game. We're very quick to say, well, it's the teachers, it's the administrators. And it's another okay. one is that we couldn't do that here. It's not the same demographic. It's not, we don't have the same right. money. We don't have, and I think, you know, if you distill down the principle of what you're doing and show people that you can actually create right. and foster this in different environments, then it takes it takes the excuse away. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to share, I'm going to share where ego is beneficial. I'm going to give you a, an Please. Well, I love that we're doing this full circle. Yeah. Go. Yeah. So where my ego comes into play. Right. So I, I've traditionally worked at public schools. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've always worked at public schools. I've, I've spoke at private schools. I've spoke at many private schools, uh, you know, in Australia, here's where my ego comes into play. And I'm like all for parents having choice. Parents are the first teacher. I think it's important that I have a choice in what my kid does. So I've never have an issue with that. But as someone who's worked in a public school, my ego gets in the way that says, look, I can do anything that private school can do. We, we can figure it out. That's, that's how I think we can do anything that school can do. Oh, those are the 10 best schools in the world. They're all private. All right. We can, I'm going to prove we can do those things. Yeah. And I think that for me is something that I believe it's like, I don't want anyone coming to my school and saying, I wish I could have that experience. I'm going to say, no, we can, we can create that here. We'll, yeah. we will find a way right now. Obviously we didn't have like oodles of money and things like that, but a lot of times it wasn't actually the money that was the signifier. It was actually kind of finding the innovation. Now I'm not saying money doesn't play a part into some things, right? Like I've, I've seen some of the schools in Australia and the structures and the things in the learning space they have, they're absolutely incredible. But it, at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is what we create with the spaces that we have, how we look at things, you know, in a different way and, and trying to create that. Now I can't say that my school is better than every school in the world, the ones that I led or anything like that, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure the kids have the most incredible experience and not say, well, I lost out because I went to this school. Right. And so that, that is sometimes where, where my ego does come into play. And I think, you know, that's where I find it a little bit, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's not healthy. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at stuff. But I, I know that we need to continuously change 
how we look at education. We got to continuously change our systems. But my friend and co-author Katie Novak, she said to me once, this is the only year that these kids have in grade three. Yes. So yeah, we need to change stuff, but I want to make sure that this is the best grade three experience possible. And that's how I look at stuff, right? We're sort of building in a lot more Indigenous education into Australian curriculum because I was educated in the 90s and we had nothing. Right. And if we did, it was a very, very whitewashed version. Hmm. And so I consider the fact that there are big chunks of my understanding of my own country that I don't have because it was not part of my educational experience. And I think that we as educators do get lost sometimes in, in you know, we pick a bad book, we, we, we have um, assessments that are not great, and we go, oh, we'll change it next year. But we do have to remember that that was the one year that that student, and we got it wrong that year. So totally. what are we doing to minimise that happening? Yeah, and I, I've always, like, like when I know this is so superficial, but, like, I remember going back to my high school, right? Mm -hmm. From where I graduated. I know this has nothing like this kind of connected with is I would go back and like, how come their gym is like way nicer than when I was here? Yeah. yeah. Right. How come this is, how come this is so much better? How come they're like, their theater is like top notch. Right. So I think it is recognizing that you could go back. Like if you went back to your school, it's way better than when you went. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it is part of that too. But I think on the adverse side, like we know things should get better because yeah. the whole purpose of education is learning and growth. Yeah. And if I went back to your school, if I went back to my school 10 years ago and it was exactly the same, that's not a good example. Correct. But when I see a school focusing on their 2030 plans, but they're not really paying attention to what's going on to what's right now, that's where the, a lot of these issues, we're so focused on what we're doing in the future that we are sometimes like negating honoring the past and and really ensuring that we we advocate for the kids in the present and i think that that's where we got to kind of find that balance and the rea the reality of it like if you really think about those 2030 plans that again is not has nothing to do with kids in the future that's ego in the wrong space it's like we want to show we're progressive we want to show that we are cutting edge and innovative so it's like a lot of schools will, you know, get all the latest technology. I, I'm actually going to say something I, I noticed in Australia. I remember this. This is so maybe I'm telling the story wrong. But years ago, I remember there was a there was a lot of money in the government that was actually put into schools to improve learning spaces. I remember this specifically. I don't know. Does this ring a bell to you? So I think it was. It does ring a bell. It was and people had to, yes, and people had to apply right. for these spaces. And ultimately what it was was money coming into the school. And what I hated yeah. about this was that people wanted the spaces and wanted to be able to sell these spaces, but the curriculum was not being created to actually facilitate and utilize those spaces as well as they could have been. I, I don't know if that, like, I don't know. I can't speak to that, but I also think okay. there is an, I, like, I can't speak to that specifically about the curriculum, but I think it was sometimes yeah. us as well too. And, I, and this is what, this is what mm -hmm. I mean by that. So, so from what I understood, what I was told at the time, that was because of the, uh, the economy crashing in the United States and there was all this money put into construction. It wasn't about improving schools. It was to ensure construction was going on. That's what I was told. There you go. Right? Yeah. So it was like, cause yeah. what every place has a school, right? So that's a guarantee, guarantee jobs. So then all these spaces, mm -hmm. all this money is put into developing these school spaces. And that actually... <laughs> I know this is going to be a side that was under, uh, what is his name? He was the, uh, head of education 
but he's also the lead singer of Midnight Oil, which is like my favorite band yeah, as a um, kid. Peter Garrett. Peter Garrett. Peter Garrett. Yeah. Yes. I, can, I was like, Peter Garrett is the head of, yeah. I don't know if he's, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember he was like, it's kind of funny. Yeah. He was like, fight the power, came to like small town Canada. And I saw him in concert and I'm like, now he's a politician. Is it whatever? Yeah. So if you, yeah. anyone knows Peter Garrett, I'd love to meet him because I grew up. The first concert I ever went to was Midnight Oil, but that's a whole other conversation. So anyway, <laughs> so, so I actually, so all these school spaces were really amazing. So I remember actually walking and I've told the story a million times. I walked into this library in a school, I think it was in Sydney or it was like, you know, mm-hmm. like close by the city. And so I went in, it was the most beautiful media center right it's you know it was like it was what their library was but they had all these like pods and they had like all this media spaces they had like beautiful like flexible seating and all this other stuff and we were having a conversation and i remember that the librarian went Shh. i'm like oh it's a new space but that's the old thinking that's what's happening here. Yes. And so I, like, I yes, remember, and yes. I've shared that. And so like, I've worked with a lot of schools who have built, who have built brand new. I'm like, you can't like, if you have this new space, you have this new opportunity. Don't just try to get yeah. the old stuff into the shiny space. And a lot of schools do that, right? They, it looks good on the outside, but when you actually go interior, it's just like old practice in like a really cool center, right? We're like, Using so it's what I was library. trying to say before yeah. about that curriculum. Yeah, yeah totally. But I, but I think, you know, maybe the curriculum, and this is, this is my, this is my thing all the time. Like, Oh, the system. I, okay. Well, you're the system. Like you are the system. Like, don't even pretend like the system mm-hmm. is not like this, this thing that, you know, it's like this magical wizard of Oz behind a curtain. Like we are the system in many ways. Right. Yeah. And so, so yeah. when we, when we look at that, yeah, the curriculum hasn't been updated, but how do we actually think differently within the curriculum of what we have power to do to make sure this is the whole premise of Innovate Inside the Box is that this is the curriculum we have. We have this beautiful space. How do we actually ensure that we help these kids develop as really good learners while still not losing our jobs because we're not gonna ignore the curriculum and kind of find that ourselves? And actually saying like, I as an individual have more power than, than I pretend I do. Right. And I think that's part of it too. Yeah. The curriculum was like, when, when, like what place do you actually believe the curriculum is actually up to date? It doesn't exist because the curriculum is on, oh, right? no. the curriculum's on, the curriculum's no. not on a Google doc. It's on a, it's on, it's usually on a piece of paper, <laughs> right? Cause if it was on a Google doc, we'd be yeah. updating it every single day. Right. And and the thing is teach, teachers can work within the curriculum. Oh, I'm not, I'm oh, not yeah, suggesting no, know, that. What I'm suggesting is you know, is that there was so much money and that movement forward. And that makes so much sense to me that you're talking about that propping up the construction industry. That actually makes a lot of sense. I don't don't know if that's true. That was what was told to me. So like, don't quote me on this, but that was what was told to me at the time. Because I was in a school where this happened. We were all looking at the building plans and things like that. And no one was giving teachers the opportunity. As as you say, like the curriculum is a very thin, you know, sort of malleable opportunity to create what you really need to. I mean, yeah, there's fundamental skills and you have to teach them, but the way you do that is up to you, really. And I think that the there's artistry, exactly, there's and so that. that is what had to have been built. And I mean, that takes time. I can't completely change, you know, unit plans overnight. That takes time. It takes collaboration. It takes a bit of trial and error as well. And what you said before, I've always worked in government schools as well, and I had this amazing, innovative teacher that I worked with who wanted to create more flexible learning because we were in you know schools with the rows and the chairs and all of that and we had a space that was Mm. going to be demolished 
And he's like, can I just take that space? I want that space. I'm going to do something with it. And I think the whole thing cost him maybe $500. He painted one wall with green screens. He put, mm. you know, whiteboard paper up. He had bean bags. He got TVs on eBay and he created this space. And I would go in there all the time because students would hook up their laptops to the TV and they'd have conversations around a YouTube video that they were watching. They would have silent spaces. They'd be lying on the floor. They were writing on the walls. They were doing green screen. They were completely in ownership of that space. And it was incredible and it wasn't expensive, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of, hi, lovely. There wasn't a lot of understanding about how that could be done on a larger scale. And ultimately that space got demolished despite the fact that it worked and kids loved it, absolutely loved it. I think kind of go back earlier to part of our conversation when people are like always looking at being cutting edge, it's like, we're always trying to embrace the new thing. Ah. When we're not good <laughs> at the back. old thing. Day game. Oh, the mics. Hey, how are you? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hey, do you want to see something really cool? Like, watch this. I got, I got sounds on mine, right? You want to tell me a joke? Okay, can I just can I finish this conversation, lovely boy? Okay, well you can sit with me. How about you sit with me? Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Oh, okay. So I can't remember. Um, you were talking about (laughs) old thinking, new spaces, new ideas, being innovative. Oh right, right, right. When he actually takes some of these, like these schools that are trying to be cutting edge, right? Try to do the latest and greatest. And the thing is, is that if you're always going to be cutting edge, you're, you're actually not like going deep with stuff. Right. And I think that if we want to be innovative, it is really, it's not about the new thing. It's about doing things really well and being able to like improvise to modify. And so it's always about the next latest and greatest, which is really frustrating to teachers. Like if I was to ask any school that's listening to this, what are the three things that your school is focused on? And I asked a hundred teachers, you know, in that school, in that organization, I'd probably get 300, a list of 300 different things, right? Because it's like, we're just getting good at the last thing. And now we got to move on to the next thing. And the the (laughs) next thing kind of looks like something we did 10 years ago, but it's a different name. And it's like, give us some time to figure some of this stuff out. It's about like, yeah, we want to move and grow and continuously progress. And I'm not using this as an excuse because I think sometimes we say things as an excuse to not grow, right? Yes. But it's like, give me time to go deep, not to, you know, just to embrace the new. And I think that's been one of the issues in education is that we're always trying to move forward to the next thing. We haven't got good at the last thing yet. And I think that's what, you know, people need to really kind of dig into that. And I think too, the longer you're in the profession, the more you see cycles of things coming through that the same oh, thing you've seen before that's redressed. And you're like, well, you know what? I thought that was good at the time. And maybe I didn't have the opportunity, as you said, to go deep and to actually get the best out of that because we had another catchword that came through. To me, time to really get into something and really be proud of something. And and then you get ownership over it too. And you get excited about it and you want to spread it. And I think sometimes teachers want the opportunity to be these experts in in the field, but we just don't have the opportunity to be able to do that. Because as you said, there's new things moving through constantly. Yeah. Like here's something I, I heard this term today, a trend chaser, a trend chaser. Okay. okay? That's what I heard. And so I've been talking about innovation since 2009. It's 2000, what, 21, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know if you're like a day or a year ahead. I can't remember. <laughs> right. I can't remember. Depends. So, on what so like, right. It depends <laughs> on what day we're having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. So. So I still talk about innovation and I still study it. I still try to dig deep into it. 
but I've also seen people like, here's this new thing that's coming up. Here's this new thing coming up. Here's this new thing coming up. And they, and they always seem to talk about it and they're trying to become the expert in the new thing. I'm like, well, are you really the expert? Cause like, you just, are you, are you like, and I was like, I was like, oh, that's the term trend chaser. Right. Yeah. And I, I because of the work that I do, I, uh, I keynote and sometimes I do the same keynote. So I'm doing, so I'm doing this keynote at this one place yeah. and then I do it, you know, a year later and you always kind of feel guilty. Cause like I always tweak stuff and like change things a little bit, but it's really a lot of the same stuff. Right. And so I remember this one time I'm speaking to a totally different audience, but there was like three or four people who saw me speak before. And I remember one of them saying to me, Hey, like I was hoping you'd do some new stuff. Like I said, well, Hey, can I ask you a question? What'd you do with the old stuff? Yeah. And they're like, uh, uh, I said, well, no, like I understand yeah. like, Hey, we all, you always want the new thing, the new thing that I'm going to talk about. What'd you do with the old stuff? Right. And it's like, yes. I'm doing a talk that 98% of the, of the people haven't seen. And maybe it's new to them and it's helpful right. to them. But the 2%, well, I want just the new stuff. I'm like, you didn't do anything with the old stuff. Tell me what you did the old stuff. And then I'll feel, then I'll feel guilty, but maybe you need a refresher. Maybe you need this too. Right. And so I think, you know, like, and it's not like I haven't progressed or anything like that, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to dig deep. I'm not just trying to be on the latest and greatest trend on the other thing too. And you know, if that makes me become irrelevant because I focus on depth more, to, more on than the, the latest and greatest, I'm okay with that. Uh, like I'm totally fine with that because like, I think, I think it also takes away from people that are experts in different areas that have expertise in different things. And just saying, well, well, I, you know, my name is my name. And so you should just trust me. I don't think, I don't think that's a good look either. I think we need to open up the spaces for other people sharing stuff that are experts in different areas, but you know, maybe they're a new face to a, to a, a different audience. But maybe they're the expert that have been working on that for 10 years. And just because I, you know, did a quick Google search and spent an hour on it doesn't make me the expert. So like, I, like, I think part of it is too, is that this, I'm blessed. I can actually dig deep into stuff. And I think a lot of teachers wish they had the same opportunity, but our schools don't necessarily. I well, I, I can that. speak for myself that that is something that I've always struggled with when, and I think also why there's resistance with staff when the new that. thing comes in. Cause they're like, well, I did this already, yeah, or I've okay. tried this. Pardon? I love pink. You like pink? Um, I don't have pink. I've got blue, love. I love blue. There you are, sweetie. Blue. There you go. Can you draw me a picture, please? Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you do become, people get resistant because they're like, well, we've already done this and it didn't get where I wanted it to get to. And so I mm -hmm. think that, yeah, allowing people, I mean, staff agency is very important too. You know, and staff buying is incredibly important, oh, and we and we forget that sometimes. Yeah, like so. I'll give you an example. I'm sure you know what PLCs are. Have you heard of PLCs? Yeah, I sure do. Okay, so I don't know based on your reaction if you like them or not, but <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't like them, right? And he, so here, here's it's not because PLCs are bad, and it's not because the theory uh, or the practice yeah. is bad. It's because the implementation is often the issue, right? So an administrator goes to a conference. And they hear somebody say, PLCs are awesome. Look what this did for a school. So they're like, wow, if that did that for that school, why can't it do that for our school? So then they come back to the school and they're like, hey, you, we should do PLCs because I saw it at a conference and it's really, I, this school said it's really good, so let's do it. So then all of a sudden we just start doing PLCs, but we don't really understand it. We don't really understand the depths of it. And then it's just like, then it's people in a room yeah. saying like, what are we even doing here? Like, yeah. I don't understand this process. Right. And that, that's what ends up happening. I'm not actually 
criticizing PLCs. Yeah. I don't think PLCs think are the issue. It's the foundational element. It's the found well, I don't, I don't, I actually can't, I can't give you an honest answer because what I can give you an honest answer is I've seen them fail over and over again because of implementation uh -huh. because it's like we're not going to change the foundational elements of what we need to do to make them successful right and i think that's what people have to kind of focus on mm -hmm. is not just saying let's do the thing it's like okay so what do we what's the groundwork we need yeah. to do to for the thing to be successful whatever yeah. the thing is right and i think that's where people get really bothered but that do you know what i hate to tell you this that takes time that takes effort that takes like you know planting some seeds yeah. you know it takes like revisiting some things and like a lot of people will say things in education and then I can point out like, Hey, here's how I know you don't necessarily believe that. So I'll give you an example, Please. collaboration, 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 collaboration. Everything is the most important thing. All about collaboration. So when I walk into school, what's the first thing I see in so many schools, here's the awards for the number one student. Here's the best athlete. Here's the number one this. So it's like collaboration, but we're going to, but it's all about what we recognize as individual achievement. Yes. And I'm not saying you shouldn't recognize individual achievement, but is there a disconnect in the messaging and what I see on the walls? And so like, it's like having those conversations like, Hey, I think competition is a good yeah. thing. I don't think competition is a bad thing. Right. I actually think, like I said earlier, it pushes me to do better as an administrator um, to actually, it pushes me to do better as an administrator when I see what other schools are doing. Cause there yeah. is like a little competitive drive in me. Uh, I always talk about the notion of competitive collaboration. Do we both push and support? Do we actually challenge one another to get better, but then provide the support? Like if you and I are teaching the same class and you're doing incredible things, it might make me a little jealous, but can I go over to your classroom and say, Hey, I see you're doing this incredible thing. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And will you help me? So it's like, the, co the competitive collaboration is actually a really important component. So it is kind of like dissecting is the culture, is the community actually supportive of this new initiative to how we set the groundwork and then we can move forward with it. I, it can't just be, I saw it at no, a conference. It worked for that I'm school. Sorry, I've got scissors coming out. I've got what the mark is and scissors. <laughs> um, you do what you have to do. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know scissors that. flying Thank at you. me, so I'm okay. Yeah. As you said, everything takes time and people buying in and wanting to make that change as well, like rather than feeling like they're being dragged along, you know, and I think that I hear that investment is huge too. Yeah. So like, I'll give you an example. So something I did in my school, I love Stephen Covey stuff. So uh, seven habits of a highly effective people, uh, there's leader in me. So there is like this huge movement. Uh, I read mm -hmm. this book called leader in me, right. And there's all these schools that were leader in me schools. And I was like, wow, look at these schools. It's incredible. So I'm like, as a principal, I'm like, I love this stuff. This is incredible. I think this is awesome. We are going to be a leader in me school. Okay. So the, I am like set on this, that we are moving yeah. forward, this notion of leader in me. So I, I set up with my, some of my staff, I said, Hey, I really want to do this leader in me thing. I think it would be hugely beneficial in our school. I would like to take, like, can we take five of you to go see this leader in me school and see it? And so it was about a five yeah. hour drive to get to the school. We were going to stay overnight. So we go to the school and, uh, and we see it and I kind of feel when I'm see what I'm, what I'm seeing from the school and the school is doing great. I'm very big on the importance of like individual personality, right? Uniqueness in every person. And I was watching kids go like, you need to think win, win. And it was like, it was like robots. It was Got like, it. they, they knew all the sayings, but I don't know if they really understood it. And so yeah. I, I kind of had like a weird feeling about it. And it, and that school had seen and you know i'm seeing like a snapshot of a school i don't want to like cut down the school or anything like that but i'm seeing this 
And it made me start thinking about it. And so the, one of the reasons I really appreciated the five hour drive is because we're all in a van together and we were like talking about yeah. what we saw and having these conversations. And I am so adamant about this when we get there, but I wouldn't have taken staff if I wasn't open to changing my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like why even go there? Like I could just go by myself and say like, here's what we're doing. But I wanted to see what they thought because I wanted them to go there and go, this is incredible. We have to do this yeah. because if all the, all these staff are behind me, then it's going to be so much easier. But they were, I was like, Hey, what do you think? And they're like, Oh, no, it was good. I'm like, no, no, no. Come, like, yeah, tell me, like, what, what do you really see? Cause they didn't, cause they knew I was like all for it. I said, I want, I want to, I don't want to implement something that is not going to be beneficial. And so we talked and I was like, okay, so this is going to cost us a lot of money for one. Okay. Can we do our own version of this where we're not paying for a program? But, you know, see some of the elements that are really important, but really make them, because I feel like if we do the program, we have to do the program. Yeah. We can't modify it. But if we can take some elements of just the book and then implement it in a way that works for our school. And so the reason I'm sharing you this is because we decided not to go with the program. We decided yeah. not to do the thing, even though it worked for other schools. Because like, I think sometimes we want, we want people to buy into something that we think is, is moving forward but we don't necessarily want their feedback. We don't want their thoughts and opinions on it. So if I can go there, say like, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know if it's a good idea. And then I say, okay, based on what you're saying, we're not moving forward with this. Then they know they're a part of that, that space, right? Then when we do move forward, they know that it is because they had a, a voice in the game. Because I think a lot of times we take people there with a predetermined outcome not to like really get feedback. So I know the way we implemented it, I was very happy with after the fact, but we didn't do the program. We didn't do it that way. And mm -hmm. what worked for one school didn't work for us. And so that I think part of it too, my staff was more bought in because I was like willing to say like, Hey, yeah, I actually do have to decide at the end of the day because I report to the superintendent, but I took you there and we didn't see it was beneficial for our school. So I'm, we're not moving forward with it. And, and I, that gave me like, actually saying we're not moving forward gave me so much credibility to move yeah. other things forward because they knew I actually valued what they had to say, right? It wasn't just like, tell me what I want to hear so I can feel better about myself. And that Absolutely. again, go back to the beginning of the conversation. I want to do well. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to do well by putting my staff in a situation where they, they're gritting their teeth every single day, doing something they think is stupid. So at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, I want to do good. This is not going to do well in the school because these people are not behind it. Yes. I'm going to ask you my, my final question. I really, yeah. it, it's not necessarily a school question. It's up to you how you right. interpret this, but right. greatest lessons in life that you've learned that you would like to impart. Uh, I think the, I, I honestly, like if, if you ask me that question in 2021, right. And over last year, I, I think all, like, well, I, I had a really big, life change. Well, all of us did, right? It's like we all funny. did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're in lockdown. Mm -hmm. I had been traveling for 10 years. I had been traveling for 10 years. I had not been home for a month straight. I actually had not been with my wife ever in our relationship for two weeks straight. Not once. So like, oh wow. You know, like I was always traveling. So when we met, I was speaking, you know, we got married quick. So I didn't have that. And then all of a sudden I'm grounded at home and my life had changed significantly. And I would say for the first few months, I was home, but I wasn't present. Okay. And so what I've really changed is like, I can do this stuff. I can, you know, spend this time in my office. I can do this. But when I'm outside of this office, when I'm home, I am present. Like I am in that space. 
And I think that for me has really helped, but it's also helped me be present in other spaces and in other things that I do. And that's really helped with my health. That's really helped with my well-being. A lot of people say I'm a lot happier and less grumpy than what I used to be. And it's probably because I feel, I feel better, right? Like just having that gratitude for what we have has been really helpful to me, but it's also been made me better to help other people because I don't sit like, oh, look at my situation. Look at, you know, where I'm at. It's like, no, I, I'm, I have, my kids are healthy. My wife is healthy. I'm blessed to have these kids. I'm blessed to have this time at home. And so then it actually helps me focus on helping other people. So that, that, that to me is, you know, the difference between being home and being present are two very different things. I read something about um, like an exercise that you should try and do for three minutes, be only in the present moment. So if you're washing the dishes, you know, consider temperature of the water, what you're feeling, mm. your feet on the floor for three minutes. It's actually very hard to not consider. Yeah. Three minutes straight. Three minutes straight to not consider what you have to do, what you have right. done, you know, something else that's not in the present moment. It's actually very hard to do. And it's a very good exercise to keep you exactly. And I, I tend to find for me, it's things like smell and touch that actually keep me physically in the present moment. Right. That's what I have to focus right. on rather than what I'm necessarily looking at. But it's an interesting practice and it's certainly not. I mean, it'd be a good one to do at school, actually, to get kids to consider being in the present. I have found that many times I'm uh, I'm just in my car with no music and I just sit there and then three or four minutes later, I'm like, whoa, like, you know, I'm finding I have a lot more of those moments. I used to like always have to have sound on, always have that too. But yeah, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying like <laughs> I'm zoning out maybe a little bit more. I mean, that's age catching up with me a little bit. <laughs> or being conscious, I suppose, of what you're actually doing rather than not nah, realizing. Nah, I'm, no, I, I'm not conscious of anything. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much. Considering all the chaos, my pencil case, I've been, okay. poor George has been watching me duct it because my son has got my whiteboard markers on my carpet. So I'm just very aware of where they're going. But thank you for being such a great sport and um, oh, for... Yeah. For talking to me, as I said, and I am in contact with Dr. Mary Hemphill, who I know is in your book because of a teacher oh, as well. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, good. yeah. She, I, I can do with Mary, and she's 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 awesome. Oh, and so I was saying to her, I said, I've got my interview with George. I'm so excited because honestly, as you said, like perhaps it was a speech you'd given a hundred times, but it was the first time that I'd heard it, and it actually shifted something in me in the way that I saw teaching. So thank you all those years ago. That's that's pretty cool to know. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, I appreciate that. And it's like, I always, I love connecting with, uh, weirdly enough for like people who follow my blog, it's United States is number one. And then it's actually not even Canada. It's Australia. How funny you are. You are yeah. a big name here. I'm wondering. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but no, you are, you are. people know who yeah. people know you here yeah. for sure. So thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, say hi to your kids for me. Okay. I will. Thanks, Joel.